Hi there. Welcome to Conversations with the Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino, and I am a psychotherapist in the Chicago area. I wanted to note for listeners before we go into this interview that this was all recorded pre-coronavirus. So if you wanted to hear about coronavirus in this episode, you're not going to hear it. If you do want to hear a little bit about what do we do to take care of ourselves during the coronavirus, you can go to one of my pages at Head Heart Therapy on Facebook. And my brother happens to be a scientist and one of the smartest humans on this planet right now. And whenever there's anything going on science-wise, I always ask him to explain it to me in normal human terms. And when we were speaking about everything that was happening, I said, you know, I really wish you would do a Facebook Live where you would you would share this with everybody because I think everybody could benefit from this. And it took me a little while to realize like, oh, come on my Facebook Live because I can interview you. I know how to do that. And so we did, we got on Facebook Live, I think it was Monday the 26th of March. And since then, it, that's still up on the Head Heart page. It's also on our YouTube page, Head Heart Therapy. And if you're looking for really some solid information, my brother really cuts through the bullshit in terms of what is real, what do we actually need to do to take care of ourselves, and what is not real. And the feedback that we've gotten so far is a little. A lot of people were very appreciative that he shared that information. So if you want to talk about coronavirus, go to Head Heart Therapy, either on Facebook or YouTube. Now, without further ado, let me tell you about my amazing guest today. My guest is Chris Hoff, and you may have heard of a little mm, barely known podcast called The Radical Therapist. I say barely known. It's a very popular podcast, and I've been listening to it for quite some time. And so I was really excited that Chris agreed to be on today. And Chris is a therapist, speaker, and coach in California with a background in sales management of a Fortune 500 company and a master's in clinical psychology. He founded the California Family Institute and currently serves on California's board of the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapists. Additionally, Chris is an adjunct professor at Pepperdine University and teaches graduate counseling skills at Loma Linda University and CSU San Bernardino. Chris's research and writing has been published in academic journals, including the prestigious Family Therapy Journals, Family Process, and the Journal of Family Theory and Review. With his therapy practice, Chris's work is grounded in narrative theory, multicultural and LGBTQ affirming, and has a background in Zen Buddhism. Chris's areas of focus are addiction, anxiety, depression, life transitions, spiritual issues, and relational health. So without further ado, please enjoy my interview with the amazing Chris Hoff. Hello, Chris. Welcome to Conversations with the Wounded Healer. Hi, nice to be here. Yay, I'm so excited. I've been listening to your podcast for a while now, and we got connected because I was doing a little road trip one day looking for something to listen to, looked at the guests on your show, and my friend Rebecca was on your show, and I was so excited to see that. And then I asked her to make this intro so that I could connect with you myself. So I'm just so grateful that you said yes. Yes. And I, I, I get a lot of feedback on that, that particular podcast uh, about our oh, conversation. Good. Like That's that, yeah. awesome. That's super awesome. Yeah. She and I met via the, the Daring Way training many, oh, okay. many years ago. Yeah. Oh, okay. She yeah. was in the first cohort and I was in the second cohort. Wow. Originals. We are the OG <laughs> Daring <laughs> yeah. Wayers. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Nice. 
Enough about me though, more about you. So uh, <laughs> you are the host of the Radical Therapist podcast and you yes. do, I was just looking at your website, you do tons and tons of stuff. You want to introduce yourself and more about what you do? Sure. I do several things. Yeah. Like you said, I host the Radical Therapist podcast. I have the Radical Therapist YouTube channel, but you know, in my professional life, that's my fun, creative life, but mm -hmm. my, in my professional life, I'm the clinical director for and founder of California Family Institute, which is here in Orange County, California, Southern California. And we're a low cost, you know, nobody's turned away no matter what they can afford. Wow. Community counseling center where we do training and actually research too. We have a current research project going on and I have a private practice as well, and I do, I've done a lot, or I'm beginning to do a lot of, this what you'd call executive coaching, leadership development work in organizational contexts, so that's been interesting. Uh, what else do I do? Oh, I'm a faculty at Cal State San Bernardino in their counseling program, so yeah, yeah. kind of some of the stuff I'm doing. Yeah. I love people like us who are like, yeah, what I do for fun is I create this podcast, <laughs> Right, right, right. Yes, it's fun for us. And then, but when do I watch TV? When do I read? When do I right, rest? Yeah. Right. Always the challenge. It is. It is. Do you know the Enneagram at all? I, I do. I'm not too familiar with it, but yeah. I was I, just I, curious what your number was, if you knew. Well, yeah, it came up yesterday. As a matter of fact, it's funny you brought it up. And I remember doing it and I remember getting a number, but I'm, I think it might be a four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So four sure is I the don't. really like you know, the, the deep, deep thinker and feeler and very intuitive. Yeah, no, probably a four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So I'd love to, all of the things that you're doing, you know, I hear a lot of service to others and I'm curious why, why the podcast, I guess, first is the question. Yeah. The podcast was interesting. I, I never had any intention of doing a podcast, quite honestly, but I had some friends, they do it political, I guess you'd call it a political current event podcast. It's become mm. kind of popular and Jesse Dollamore and Brittany Page are their names. I doubt it with Dollamore as the podcast. And yeah, and they, they were friends. And so they came to me actually and said, you need to do a podcast. And mm. I, I was like, well, I haven't thought about doing a podcast. I didn't even listen to the podcast actually at the time. But I knew I had a name for the podcast. I was in a used bookshop and came across this book called The Radical Therapist. It turns out it was an old book and it was a compilation of the Radical Therapist Journal, which was a kind of this offshoot of the American Psychiatric Association back in the late 60s, early 70s. Mm. And there was a subgroup of rebels that kind of put together this journal called the Radical Therapist. And they were influenced by particular ideas and it, it had a short run and, and I had grabbed the book and I'd kind of you know read through it and I just said I'm going to use this someday and so when mm. they came to the podcast I was like yeah I'm going to well I have a name I've never thought about doing a podcast but I have a name and and then that's how it started so yeah how long have you been in the field in the therapy field yeah or in the podcasting in <laughs> therapy the, in field the therapy probably field. about yeah. So this is second career for me. So it's been about 10 years now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, same, same. Yeah. Okay. I feel like having a podcast gives a certain, a different lens because we get to talk to people in different parts of the country and the world sometimes. Yeah, and right. I feel like right now, which is different than any other time in the past 10 years, there is this desire for being radical and 
this cry for making a big change, not only in the field, I mean, obviously in many parts of our world, but I, I love that term radical and the call to action that it's yeah. it's giving us because there's so much in this field right now that's so troubling. Yeah, you know, and that was kind of the driver. I mean, it was the driver for the, If you, I mean, if you listen to the podcast, you know, we come from a particular perspective that kind of counters maybe a lot of the dominant ideology in our field right now. And, you know, I'd always been kind of interested in, I mean, I'm an old punk rocker, right? So <laughs> I've always been Amazing. kind of interested in, uh, <laughs> and kind of, you know, just kind of how I'm wired, I suppose. But some of the ideas, even early on to me, were troubling. And I found thinkers and therapists and radical therapists and thinkers and philosophers and artists and stuff like that that really... I thought we're doing interesting things. And that's what I try to do is bring maybe some of these mm -hmm. novel and new ideas that can inform the work that we're doing. And I think I would like to think more progressive, radical ways, like you said. You know? Yeah, yeah. And what what made you change careers? Because you were in sales before, right? Yeah, well, I, I, I owned, a, I co-founded a technology staffing company. I, I came out of the corporate world. I was in sales, business development. And what, how did it start? How did I get here? Yeah, yeah. What was so, the journey? The journey was, I'm in recovery. I've been in recovery for a lot of years. Congratulations. Uh, be, yeah, Addiction be, is my jam. So yeah, yeah. I figured <laughs> so, uh, I'll be clean and sober 27 years in April. Wow, that's great. Uh, so it started probably there. And I, you know, was involved in the 12 step world and still am quite honestly, but I found trying to help others. There's, there's a service component to that. Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. And so I found that very purposeful and just kind of really liked doing that kind of work. And that was probably the germination of it. Then I sought my own therapy and I was sitting in an office one time and I had this business. I, simultaneously, I started the business. The business grew. By the time I exited the business, we were like 200 employees. And wow. It was very, very successful and it was kind of hard to leave actually. But what happened is kind of simultaneously, I had this business, I went back to school, got a psychology undergrad degree, went to my department chair at that time. And I said, you know, I'd really like to be a therapist, but I have this company, I, you know, and I, I called it the golden handcuffs, right? And yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. And so I had this company. I mean, she said to me, I still remember, she said, well, Chris, if you really want to do it, you'll find a way and kind of went off and did the business world thing. And two things happened. I had an experience. I went to see a therapist, a friend referred me. And he was like this 70 year old, hmm. just great man, guy. And I was sitting in his office one day after, you know, we, we'd been seeing each other for a little while. I'd been sitting in the office and I had this just epiphany that I want to do what he's doing. Yes. <laughs> and so that's, that happened. And then I had a, a good friend of mine die by suicide. And hmm. That at the time, you know, and I'd been, it wasn't the first time something like that had happened in my life. Or if you're in the recovery world, you know, you experience a lot of tragedy. I'm sure, yeah. Terry, you know this, right? But this front, for some reason, it just kind of broke me in, in a way. And mm -hmm. um, I took stock of my life and I thought, like, what do I really want to do? And I went to my business partners and I said, hey, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go off and go to grad school and become a therapist, is how it went. And you know, everybody, except for a few select close people to me, 
thought I was crazy, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I ended up exiting out of that business and we're still friends today. So that was great, but exited out of that business and I went back to grad school and here I am. And the golden handcuffs, there's something about, well, there's not something about it. It's everything. The way that our culture has deemed success, then oftentimes we we chase that success. And if we get it, we're like, oh, wait, this isn't necessarily going to make me happy. And I hear, I think almost every single client of mine who struggles with addiction, there's some sort of golden handcuff situation, whether it be you know a job where they're making a lot of money and they feel they can't leave or a relationship where it should be perfect on paper. There's all of this American dream stuff that people get caught up in. And for a lot of my clients that I feel like that's part of the fuel for addiction is living a life that isn't really meant for you. Yeah, great point. And I, I really love Richard Rohr. He says, mm-hmm. you know, we oftentimes in most in a lot of our lives will find we're climbing a ladder, but then when we get to the top, we realize it's against the wrong wall. And that's pretty much what happened to me. And so, and when I made the change, I have to say, being a therapist, doing what I'm doing now, doing all the things I'm doing now, I have not regretted one moment of it. And I feel very, very fortunate for that. I mean, there was this really kind of time where I was in liminal, a lot of liminal space, right, where mm-hmm. I was a successful entrepreneur guy and then stepped out of that identity. And I wasn't quite a therapist yet. You know how you go to grad school and you are you have to do yep. a year of classes or whatever before you even see a client. and. Mm-hmm. So I moved from this this identity, not into a new one quite really, because I wasn't I hadn't seen a client yet. I didn't know mm-hmm. what it was going to be like. I didn't know if I was going to like it. Mm-hmm. And so it was very destabilizing process, oh, too, yeah. which is hard for people. And I remember when I was going into my first client and I I had walked away from all this financial security and spent a year in grad school. I was about to see my first client. And I just was like, what if this doesn't work out? Right. Yeah. What if this and I remember, fortunately for me, I was sat with my first client and it was this woman and she basically cried the whole session. And mm. uh, But I was 15 minutes into this thing and I got struck with this epiphany, like this is exactly what I want to be doing. Mm. And ever since then, it's I haven't regretted a minute of it. It's been great. Mm-hmm. That's mm. awesome. And I hear in all of this so much self-reflection too. And one of the things that I'm really passionate about as as a professor is helping students understand how crucial and not optional, like it is required for you to do your own work. What do you end up teaching? Oh, I teach, you know, advanced practicum, which is like an advanced Mm -hmm. counseling class. And then Mm -hmm. the the beginning counseling class. And I teach conflict resolution. I teach addiction counseling. Mm -hmm. You know, I teach group counseling. All the practice classes, they tend to give to me. So That's awesome. Yeah. And those are perfect for... I think of my own podcast and I imagine you may too, as a place to model for people in the field who might be thinking, what is it, what is it really like? And how do I, when I found Brene Brown's work, I was able to be myself as a therapist instead of playing the therapist that I was taught to play in grad school. Right. Right. Yeah. I have a colleague uh, who was, did her traineeship at California Family Institute and then her post-grad and then went off and started a very successful private practice. And she says to me often, like, the best thing you ever said to me was, you know, just do you, you know, mm-hmm, <laughs> right? Don't mm-hmm. try to be a therapist. Be, yes. be you, you know? 
Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's more to it than that. But I mean, she's, that's the thing she remembers out of everything and all the work we've done together was when I gave her permission to be her in the room, it changed everything for her. And that's that's what she says. Yeah. So I think we all make that mistake that we have to perform therapist. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we get into it and or what we imagine a, a real therapist is. There's a great moth story hour. I think Martha May's her name where she it's called uh, What Can't Be Fixed. And she talks mm. about what would a real therapist do? Or what would a real therapist do? It's a great story. Mm. Have listeners haven't No, heard it. yeah, I've got to check it out. We'll find it out. But it's it's also really speaks to that. A client of her who, who sorry, spoiler alert, ends up dying from cancer, mm. but tells her what the most important thing she said to her was. And, and it's just really powerful. So I recommend you listen to it. So. Oh, my God, for sure. I'll check <laughs> yeah. that out. Yeah. yeah. And I'm also curious about your spiritual life because I see, is it, sure. is it Zen Buddhism? Yeah. Zen Buddhism, long time yeah. uh, practitioner of Zen Buddhism. So yeah. What drew you to that? You know, when I was in myself in early recovery, I had a friend, I had this guy, I think everybody should have this kind of friend in their life. I hope they do. Or, you know, he'd read every spiritual book and he would dish me like Alan Watts and you know, just other stuff to get, you know, just have me reading kind of, you know, spirituality one-on-one stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and he, I could, at the time I couldn't fall asleep unless the radio was on, you know? Hmm. And so I had a really busy mind and it had gotten back to him somehow that that was going on. And one day I ran into him and he was like, Hey, Chris, I think this will help you. And he gave me a cassette tape. And I know some people might remember those, but <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Gave me a cassette tape. And on one side was uh, a meditation and, uh, kind of instruction and then the other side was a guided meditation and mm. I promptly put on my Sony Walkman and, and listened to the meditation instruction and flipped it over and did the guided meditation and I just started to do that regularly and mm-hmm. and got immediate results really. I mean yes. it wasn't too long that you know I could fall asleep without the radio on and and then I started to evolve. You know, I wanted to not have somebody talking at me. So I went just to music and then I wanted silence and then I mm-hmm. went just to silence and I and I had a dedicated meditation practice but I I didn't know if I was doing it right because I was just yes kind of, yeah <laughs> yeah I was re- reading some books here and there and then just kind of doing my own practice and then I, I thought you know maybe I should go out and seek teachers I have been doing this for a long long time or part of lineages that have been doing this for a long long time and so I bounced around and uh, did some Vedanta and then eventually ended up you know in some Theravada and, and you know insight kind of bounced around different locations and eventually found myself in a Zen place. And, and that really felt like home for me. And so mm. I started to kind of just do the Zen thing. And yeah, here I am. And what does your practice look like now? And now I'm part of the Empty Moon Zen Network, which mm. uh, is my teacher's James Ford Roshi. He's written several books. People in the Zen world, I'm sure if people are listening in the Zen world, know who he is. And He's a great guy, and and I'm not a joiner by any means, and so you're a builder. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I kind of run skeptical and critical, and so for me to actually have a teacher was kind of a challenge, you know. So, but he's just been a wonderful spiritual director for me, is the best way I can put it. And hmm. so I'm I'm part of this sangha. I'm considered a, a dharma teacher in the in the sangha, and uh, I just sat this morning before I talk to you, but over at the Long Beach Buddhist Church, which is a Soto Zen temple, I would say. So we sit in different places, but we have our, our regular sits around a Tuesday night and Saturday morning. And we, you know, do 
Dharma talks. And we do liturgy. We're like old school Zen. We do bowing and chanting and, and mm-hmm. meditation. So That's fantastic. How long have you been yeah. doing that? Uh, meditating 26 years now, probably. And so right after you got sober. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, Zen, Zen with a teacher over 10 years now. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. I, I'm coming up on four years now. And seriously, the results are instant. And I try to, I really, especially try to support my, my clients in early recovery to use meditation because it's, it's the same, you know, brain structures you need to combat a craving. Yeah. I just think it was so instrumental in in my life in recovery and just in general and and Mm -hmm. in all ways. And so, yeah, I think it's important. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to shift to the question about how you feel about the term healer as applied yeah. to who you are and what you do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you expand on that? <laughs> yeah, um, I think it's like, uh, I look at it kind of like ally, right? I would prefer that other people would call me a healer than me right. calling me a healer, just like I would prefer right. other people call me an ally and then me calling myself an ally. But I think there's a, going back to Zen practice, right? I chant regularly if I'm, mm. you know, the Bodhisattva vows and this thing that I'm going to save all beings, right? Yeah. And so part of my practice is not that I can, and it's not that you can save all beings, but it's right. just that, that intention, intention of, exactly. of moving through the world, trying to be helpful mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and trying to alleviate suffering in the world as best you can. And I don't, I think that would be a good description of a healer, right? And so, yes. And that is my life's work, right? And that is my vow in my own spiritual practice. So. But if I'm actually doing the work, you'd have to ask other people that are around me. And I think they mm-hmm. would be a better judge of that. And that's a, that's a common answer that I get is, yeah, is yeah. because it's a relational question that you can't yeah. really completely answer it. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. How about the term wounded healer? How does that sit with you? Yeah, I, I think that's accurate, right? Yeah, because, you know, I'm a man in recovery. I, you know, mm-hmm. I've had my share of experiences of woundedness, right? Mm-hmm. And still do. And so I like the idea, and I think Brene Brown, going referring to Brene, you know, this idea of imperfection and leaning into imperfection mm-hmm. in all the ways, right? And so absolutely, I think I'm okay with wounded healer and and I think it, it situates you. I, I kind of like it in the way that it kind of situates you as not like an expert or not yeah. a, not knowing better, but a fellow journey person, somebody that walks along with, you know, mm-hmm. that, I, I like the way I, I like the way the wounded healer kind of situates you in the world. And in particular in the room, yeah, because right? I'm being trained right now in NARM, neuroeffective relational model. Have you heard of that? Mm-hmm. One of the things we talk about a lot is what to do when the client tries to put you in that expert seat and how mm-hmm. how do you how do you take yourself off of that, yeah. right? Yeah. And then be able to level the playing field and help them to do that from their perspective. And mm-hmm. it can be challenging. Yeah, it can. I mean, and you know, and I teach counseling and I teach beginning counseling and I mm-hmm. And I tell my students that I, they're going to go do their first practice session with another student. We have like psychology students from the psychology department volunteer mm-hmm. to be clients and they're going to go do their first sessions. And these are just, they, they video them. And, and I tell them, you'll listen, I know you think you don't know what you're doing and you're going to be going into it with a lot of nerves and all that stuff, but you are just because of who you are and your role and 
mm-hmm. what it's going to be. You are going to be positioned in a particular way by the people that are going to be your clients, right? And it mm-hmm. doesn't matter. They don't know how little you've done this, but it's just with that comes, you know, some a power imbalance. Right. And I think it's really, really important we be aware of that and, you know, that it's going to be given to us. And how are we going to attend to that, right? If we don't attend to it and we pretend like it's not there just because we don't feel like we have power, that is a disservice to the client too. Exactly, exactly. Right, right. Well, speaking of wounding, I'm really curious from your vantage point of someone who's who's been in podcasting for a while and talking to a lot of people in the field, what gets you really fired up about the field of therapy? And where like you see, good, where you see us going, way <laughs> either, either way, I'm going to make it an open ended question so you can take it where you want to. I think there's uh, still a lot of innovation and creativity. I think we're getting back to the art of therapy. Yes. I think, you know, a lot of our creativity and innovation was drained by the medical model. And so in various ways, and I think, you know, I talked to Scott Miller. He wrote an article about how psychotherapy lost its magic with a K, right? Mm -hmm. And then I did a really wonderful interview with him about how more people are going to see psychics and tarot card readers and and less people are going to see therapists because we've lost Mm -hmm. our, we've lost our art, our soul, our whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah. Uh, because it's become this idea, this medical model thing of evidence-based practices, and you dose your clients with particular whatevers, mm-hmm. and the relational aspect, the human aspect, just got kind of drained out of it. And we, need, and I think there is now voices that are being crit- critical of that, and they're trying to take it on a little bit and to bring back what makes. Um, sitting with people special, right? That's what I'm interested in. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up the idea of evidence-based practice too, because I, it's the end of the term for one of my classes and I'm reading all these papers about CBT and how, you know, the students using this very definitive language about how it changes your behavior. It changes the way you feel. And that was not my experience with CBT. It didn't work. It did not work for me because it wasn't getting at the core which is developmental trauma stuff, which in order to do trauma work for certain, you have to be in touch with the art of it. You can't be using a prescription. And, and that's the thing that I struggle with our, our education system for the most part. When we're educating therapists, they're not getting the art piece. And no, that's no. what I try to teach. And it sounds like you do as well. I do. And you're seeing, you know, and I'm trying to bring in like to give it some seriousness. I try to bring in common factors research, you know, which talks about the therapeutic relationship alliance being the Mm -hmm. number one factor for successful work. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, and then that means we have to revisit a way of being, you know, and how we and all these kind of relational stuff. And people really, you know, we live in a world where people want to reduce things to black and white. People mm-hmm. want certainty and satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Ambiguity and uncertainty is very uncomfortable for folks. But we as as healers have mm-hmm. to be the people that kind of expand and lean into ambiguity, uncertainty, mm-hmm. and step away from our uncertainty and step away from certainty and all those kinds of things, because that's just not how the world is. Right. And you it know. makes me it just makes me so concerned when I'm you know, putting students out into the world who who aren't getting that. And I, I don't want to blame the students because it's the system, right? Like going back to this is the way that our American culture works. And until we start changing the narrative of our culture, well, actually, first, until we start recognizing 
where all of this stuff came from. Yeah. yeah. Right. Capitalism is all about white supremacy and that's yeah. not something that everybody understands and yeah. Yeah. make that connection. And, and until we do that, we're not going to be able to embrace it and then shift it. Yeah. Well, our field wasn't interested in the larger social context for a long, long time, right? It was very individual. Right. Problems right. were privatized in individuals. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, it hasn't been until really recently. I mean, it, you can make an argument that started a long time ago, but more voices haven't picked it up till recently. Yeah. But now we're really looking at like, listen, we're, we're working with people and then sending them out into the world that's going to continue to impress them. But we really need to like, like look at the whole picture, the holistic picture, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I did a presentation recently on the concept of the wounded healer. And I bring in this idea of community care and structural care being part of the work. And one of the pieces of feedback I got was social justice has no place in therapy. <laughs> I yeah. was like, no, it, it, it's everything. And if we're, if we don't have that intersection, we are, we're not going to help a lot of people. No. And that, you know, there's always going to be that critique and it's scary to people. And I, you know, I get it all. I mean, go read the comments on my YouTube channel when I talked about patriarchy and men's relationships, you know, I, got I can't even imagine. Yeah, it is what it is. So, but we just got to keep doing the work. I'm curious personally, because I feel like my platform keeps growing and I'm kind of nervous about what happens on the other side. How do you as a person deal with those sorts of comments and the criticism and the naysayers? Well, quite honestly, it was jarring at first. It was hard at first. But then I was like, listen, I'm a white, cis, straight dude. And people of color and all kinds of other marginalized identities have to put up with this shit all the time, right? I'll start with that. And, oh, please, uh, please. Yeah, I cuss okay. all the time. Fuck it. Okay, yes. Sorry. Yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, they have to put up with this all the time. So like mm -hmm. kind of this white fragility reflection yeah. like you know I can take a few hits you know it's my job I gotta go out there and so I've developed a new relationship with the haters and the trolls and, and that's amazing I also try to see them you know in the Buddhist practices is I just try to see them as suffering folks you know and that people that are hurting and scared and they're living in a world uh, where they're confronting a ton of uncertainty and they don't know how to do that and so when mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. in my better or higher place or whatever i can see it like that when i'm not in that place right it hurts a little bit but you know right. it, comes, it comes and goes well i mean i've certainly thought about of course their suffering and that's that's kind of like the easy easy go-to but i love the recognition that i have privilege and i haven't suffered in this way and so let me take one for the team like that yes. is interconnectedness in action yeah, sure. that yeah. is really cool i am definitely going to remember that that's amazing cool. So for folks who are really interested in making change in this field and being a voice for, for advocacy and waking people up, what do you have to say to those folks? How do they do that? How do they withstand the pressures too? You mentioned it. I think you mentioned it in your presentation. You Community is so important in that work because it's, mm -hmm. it's so hard to do on your own and it's and it's easy we all fall victim to the systems we're in and it's easy to forget our ideals and our purpose and our values yeah. and when you're up against larger systems which we all are every day and so if we can find community of practitioners or uh, community just of supporters or you know go listen to our podcasts you know mm -hmm. when you want to hear other voices that are that are supporting you and what you're doing. You know, it's, there's a lot of resources out there. Go to conferences, workshops, you know, find your people, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. 
Mm -hmm. What are some of your favorite conferences for connecting with people who are on this path? Yeah, I think AFTA for me, I'm on the executive committee. So um, is that for family, family marriage therapy? American American Family Therapy Academy and our conference is in June in DC or Virginia, Alexandria, Virginia, but basically DC this year. Uh, There's the Soul, the Eckenberg Soul Work Conference. There's the Liberation Conference. Mm. There's, There's a lot of them out there where therapists are involved. Yeah. I feel like on the on the coast, especially in California, there's there's a movement that's much more robust than here in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're you know we're yeah, it's California. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, that's so, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So one last really big question for you, sure. but you know, just thinking about your experience as a person in recovery and a spiritual seeker, I think that's a lot of of my listeners are are people who are either on a path of recovery for mental illness or or addiction and seeking spirituality and potentially on the road to becoming therapists. Any advice or any words of wisdom for my listeners? <laughs> that is a big question. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. I love to ask big open-ended questions and just yeah. see where people take them. Yeah. What would I suggest? You know, hopefully my own story was an example of what might mm-hmm. be possible and that there will be identity shifts and you will mm-hmm. have to step into uncertainty and what I would call liminal space, but that's where the magic happens, right? And so if I was going to share my own experience, my own experiences, once I entered into this work, I have never regretted a minute of it and I, I wouldn't rather be doing anything else. And I hope you find that too. So. Yeah. It's like there's the pain of not knowing what's happening. And then there's the pain of being able to see it all clearly. And I think I would much rather be in this place having the pain of seeing things clearly than, than the vice versa. Yeah. And I'm sure you have these clients, Sarah, where people will come that are like that. They're like in recovery or they're, I'm thinking about doing this work. And they've come from a wounded place. We'll say a wounded place. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And I always tell them you have the gift. Right. Sometimes it doesn't feel like a gift. Yes. <laughs> but you have the gift. And so use the gift. Yeah. yeah. Use the gift. <laughs> that should be the title of this episode. Use the gift. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> well, uh, where can people find you? I'm pretty easy to find. There's the Radical Therapist podcast. We're on all the stuff. And there's the Radical Therapist YouTube channel. Go check that out. I'm on Instagram at the Radical Therapist. And Dr. Chris Hoff on Instagram. So there's two sites to go check out. And yeah, and I have drchrishoff.com if you want to go check me out. Wonderful. Yeah, if you're a listener and you're circling anywhere around the therapy field, do make sure that you check out the Radical Therapist podcast. It's really, really wonderful. Thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. And thank Thank you you for all that you're doing in this world. Thank you. Thanks so much, Chris, for sharing your time with us today. To learn more about Chris, you can find all of his goodies and information at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder in the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye-bye.